This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today, after a long break, I've got Jared Pickney back with me today. Jared, it's good to have you back on this podcast and to be talking to you yet again. How are you doing, brother? And I'm doing real well. Doing real well. Thanks for having me back on. I was starting to wonder if you still like me. (laughs) Well, you know, there are many people out there in the world. They all need the chance. But, you know, I kept fighting for you. I was like, I need my brother from Arkansas on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, man. And then we tried last week and your kids took over, right? So we had to cancel. This is true. But thanks for for pursuing me again. (laughs) The kids were screaming. It was awful. Yes. So what's going on in Paragold these days? Um, Man, actually, something really cool happened just last night that um, I'd like to share with because I think you would find it really cool. But our missional community has been praying. There is a a Muslim woman who's been just walking up and down Court Street, which is pretty close to where our church uh, on the street that our church meets at. And um yeah, anyways, people don't walk in Paragold. So when someone's walking, it's like, well, that's weird. What's what's wrong with that, that person, you know? And so um, she's walking and obviously like, you know, I mean, she's very Muslim. And um, so like she's going to stick out in Paragold, Arkansas, obviously. But we've been praying for her. Just kind of felt the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart. I don't know, like just gave me a burden for her. So I prayed to our MC. I mean, I've been to our MC. I was like, we need to pray to the Father, man, that he would just give us uh, favor with this woman, that somehow we'd be able to cross paths. And so um, what's really cool is we prayed, and then that night, World Relief from Memphis, which is about an hour from here, contacted me because mm-hmm. um, they had got our name from someone else, found out that we were trying to minister our missional community to refugees that had been located mm-hmm. here in Paragold. And come to find out, this specific woman that we were praying for is a woman that World Relief wanted to connect us with. Wow. And so just long story short with her, she had been forced out of Ethiopia, went to Kenya, got forced out of there because of persecution. While on the run, her and her children got uh, separated. And for the last eight wow. years, she'd been told that her kids were dead. But hmm. uh, three weeks ago, found out they were alive. They flew their children in or two of the four. She still doesn't know where two of the girls are, but uh, flew the two boys to Memphis they now are living in Paragold with her, going to Paragold School District. And for the first time last night, right here in the the building that I'm sitting in, we got a chance to meet with her. Uh, she met our missional community, we had fruits and nuts and all that there, and just listen to her talk for a really long time and share her heart and, and a pretty heartbreaking story. And so, um, anyways, yeah, man, we're super excited. We're about to be eating in her home and and getting to know her wow. and, and hopefully get an opportunity to to help her go from feeling like a foreigner to feeling like a friend, uh, hopefully eventually being in the family of God. So anyways, super excited about that. Wow. That is so exciting. That's so awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just even that God pursues people to that extent that it was like, God was calling you and your community to pray for her. And then all the story in the background. That's awesome, man. Thanks, man. Thought you'd want to celebrate that with us. So, yes, I definitely celebrate that and can't wait to see what comes of it. So we'll have to return to that in future episodes. Just see, yeah, how your community in Paragold continues to reach the world. Awesome. Yeah, well, uh, today we want to do an episode on what 
missional communities actually do. So we've talked through a bunch of stuff on the podcast, how to multiply, how to lead communities, how to be motivated by the gospel. We've, we've talked through a ton and we've even talked about why they really work or why they fail. But something we've yet to talk about is this. And one of our listeners actually asked me in an email a few weeks ago, hey, could you guys do an episode on what missional communities are actually supposed to do? Uh, which I thought was like, man, thank you, <laughs> listeners. And that's a fantastic question that I actually uh, get to answer a lot in like the flow of trainings, but it's not something that we've answered here on the podcast. Mm. So I think it's totally worthwhile doing. So Jared, what do missional communities actually do? Well, I think I would start by saying, before we talk about what a missional community does, we should probably define what a missional community is. And so just in a couple of minutes, I would say, um, for the sake of clarity, a missional community is not simply a Bible study, though missional communities do study the scriptures. Uh, that's not like the primary reason we form, just to come together and study the Bible. Um, I'd say a missional community is not primarily they're just a social activist group, um, though we want to do a lot of good stuff for people in our city and show them a picture of the gospel. We don't just want to show them a picture of the gospel. We want to proclaim the gospel, right? We want Jesus to be the center right. of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We say a missional community is not simply a small group. So if you think about a small group, you know, we get that a lot. Matter of fact, in the South, people are like, oh yeah, missional communities, we do that. We call them small groups and we meet in homes too. And the difference between a missional right. community and a small group is a small group is really just about the people in that group. And they might be together forever, right? Come together and eat chips and mm-hmm. dip and all that kind of stuff. But a missional community really is seeking to live on mission. We're trying to think about people beyond our group. And then finally, I'd say a missional community is not just a weekly meeting. So just like, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to get away from the language of we're going to church. We try to get away from the language of we're going to our missional community. You know, it's kind of like this idea of a missional community mm-hmm. is just this event on a Sunday night where we eat a meal and we talk about the Bible, the end, done. Did missional community this week, check, right? So a missional community is not primarily right, or just simply those things. Um, so the way we define the missional community is a family of missionary servants. Therefore, I would just say in a lot of that, Brad, do you want to start by telling us kind of what you think MCs do and, and a lot of that gospel identity? Would that be a good place to go next? Yeah, thanks for yeah adding that bigger context because we're shaped uh, as disciples. We've been given a new identity. The, the gospel shapes who we are. Uh, we even see that in the Great Commission uh, Matthew 28, Jesus calls his disciples to go, meaning like we're on the move, which I think we can't forget that like to be a disciple of Jesus or even to be in a missional community means we're on the move. We're going and we're making disciples of all people. And Jesus tells them to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And in other words, like what you were just saying, to baptize them in their identity in the Father, their identity in the Son, in the Spirit, becoming a family, sons and daughters of God, becoming servants to Jesus, becoming missionaries empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, from that identity comes what a community actually does. And even within that Great Commission, I think everyone can also remember, after we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us to teach them to obey all the commands that he's given them and that he'll be with us always. And so really what missional communities are trying to do or activity wise is trying to to learn how to obey the commands of Jesus together, that our identity would be connected to our 
obedience to Jesus as the Lord who has authority on heaven and earth. And so then I think it's just, just helpful to think, well, what are the commands of Jesus? So that's what a missional community is trying to live out, which again, you can't live out these commands in a weekly meeting. These commands can't be lived out just doing some study knowledge gathering. The commands can't be lived out just doing good works once a month. It would require a full life reorientation. And so the three commands of Jesus, and we can talk through those now, but we're supposed to love the Lord your God is a command that Jesus gives us. We're supposed to love our our neighbors, and we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to love uh, the fellow disciples. And through that love for one another, the world will know that we're his disciples, that we're following him. And so first, kind of take that that big one, a missional communities grow in their love for God together, or something I'd like to describe that as, as gospel enjoyment. Mm -hmm. In other words, missional communities are growing in just the enjoyment of the fruit of the gospel, which is we get God. We get the presence of God with us always. He is a loving father, a victorious king. He's an empowering spirit that comforts and nurtures us. And so a lot of times what missional communities are trying to do is trying to learn to love God in that way, to give him our heart, mind, soul strengths, whether that looks like getting in a smaller, you know, sort of discipleship accountability groups, whether people are processing their idols and repentance and faith, whatever you call those fight clubs or DNA groups. A lot of times too, though, it looks like communities getting together regularly to say, Hey, let's just name it what it is. We all don't know how to pray. So we're going to learn how to pray because we want to love God. Or we're going to learn how to like read the Bible or like practice silence and solitude. So as a community, we're going to learn how to do that together, how to do repentance, confession, communion. How do we like speak the truths of the gospel to one another at all times uh, really is born from a, a receiving the love of God and just giving God love back, which I think is one of the often forgotten parts of the whole missional movement. And you talk about this a lot, Jared, about abiding in the vine. Mm -hmm. But we often, just so often forget that like, we get to enjoy God mm -hmm. forever. And that's the chief end of man. And so what sustains us in mission, what even, you don't live on mission until you like, you enjoy God, until you like enjoy worshiping God, not the mission, and which we've talked about at other points. But that's that's the first thing that, a community is trying to learn how to obey that command of Jesus of loving God with everything that we have. So that's that's some of what a missional community does. Good. Jared, how would you continue that? Yeah, very good, man. Yeah. So first, missional communities are to grow in their love for God. Uh, that is of first importance. Secondly, uh, yeah, missional communities are to grow in their love for one another. And so if you think about that, you know, because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we've gone from being enemies of God to being his beloved children. Mm -hmm. And so if we're children of God, right, that makes us family, right? We're brothers and sisters. And we believe that's not just a metaphor. In fact, if you believe that's a metaphor, you're going to have a real hard time with a lot, interpreting a lot of scripture. <laughs> but we really believe that, that truly we are family. I think about the story where Jesus is speaking to a crowd in Luke 8 and uh, people are like, hey, you know, Jesus, you're, you know, your, your family is outside. They're trying to get in. And he looks at them. It's really bizarre. He's like, oh, shoot. You know, like, cool. Sorry. Time out. He just like looks and says, well, you know, this is my family. And so he's like, you know, we see Jesus already even before, you know, his resurrection and ascension, not like just redefining family for us. And even at one point he says, you know, it's by this, the world will know that you're my disciples. 
by the love that you have for one another. So again, just kind of teasing out this idea of like, man, like one of the greatest hermeneutics of the gospel is like us living like family, like us loving each other in such a way where people say, man, you guys are so different. Like you're in different stages of life, like your different preferences, like you're not just like together because you all like NASCAR or whatever, you know, like, like mm-hmm. you, what brings you together? And we're able to say, man, it's, it's Jesus Christ. And so um, this is a huge piece. This is what I feel like we need to get right in order for us to, to really love one another well, obviously, and Brad, you referenced a while ago, it starts with the body and the vine. I mean, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, the first one's missing, uh, mentioned in Galatians is, is love. Or the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so if we're not walking in step with the Spirit, if we're not abiding in Christ, like we're not going to really feel the love right. of God and, and be able to love Him and return and enjoy Him and then love others well. And so... Yeah, it starts with the body and the vine. Yeah. We cannot overlook that. You cannot move past that. But on a practical level, for us, the the way we try to flesh this out in our missional communities by just asking a simple question. This is something that honestly, as I'm even thinking about it, we need to revisit it more often than we do. But we just ask a simple question. And I would encourage you, if you're leading a missional community right now, to ask your MC this. Hey, what would it look like for us to live as a healthy family? Mm-hmm. And maybe get a whiteboard yeah. or have everybody, you know, get a sheet of paper. You can pass it out with some pens or pencils and have them just write ideas down and just share those. And so for our missional community, some things we said as well, healthy families eat together. And so for us, we decided, well, let's just eat yeah. one meal together as an MC every week. So we have theme uh, meals where it's, you know, Mexican food or Italian or breakfast for dinner or whatever. And, um, we actually give all of our MC leaders basically menus and uh, proportions to help them kind of figure that out. So it makes it easy for them. Um, but we eat a meal together as one big family. Once a week, we try to, my, for my wife and I, to have a, a family over um, to our home outside of that meal a couple times a month. Uh, we want to play together some game nights. Yeah. You know, we want to serve each other. So, I mean, I've had people in my missional community come and help lay floor at my house or we help each other move. Um, we want to celebrate together. And so, you know, throw in a baby shower for someone or recognizing birthdays. We had a girl in our missional community that recently was in the hospital and then came out. So, when she came out, we had a gift bag for her and just kind of celebrated that, you know, God have brought healing in their life. And so celebrating and, and I'd say bearing one another's burdens is huge, right? So family, right. Men, they, they want to share each other's struggles. And so they want to pray for one another, be good listeners and and just honestly like stay committed to one another even through the mess of life. And so I was talking to Jeff Anderson last week and he was talking about out of John 17 where, you know, Jesus had just said, He'd help, you know, complete the mission that God had given him by keeping all that God had given him. And uh, just this idea of like, mm-hmm. man, sometimes as a missional community leader, like you might not be bringing a whole lot of new people in, but uh, you can focus on like the beauty of, man, it's a Christ-like ministry just to keep the people you have, like the messy, like just hard stuff of life. Or like when people are going through it, they still feel loved and valued and a part of the group. And so, um, and a lot of that, I would say, if you're going to live like family, it's important that you set realistic expectations. That's, that's something we found to be really helpful here. The truth is like you cannot live probably like family with everyone in your church. Right. And even it's going to look different within people with your, in your own missional community. I think it's Alex Absalom who has, he's uh, done some work on the, well, I think he calls it the four spaces. And he talks about there's an intimate space where you have like two to three people. And those are the ones who are going to really, really know you and you're going to know them. Then you have what's called a personal space. That's like 12 to 30 people. And um, they're going to probably know your story. Yeah. You're going to know their story. Um, they're going to be thinking about you some. They're going to be thinking about them. Then you have a social space, which is 30 to 70 people. Um, these are folks you can have a good time with, but you're probably going to have a pretty surface level relationship. And then you have a public space, which is, you know, for us, a church gathering where you're going to see folks and you're going to be familiar with them. 
but you're probably not going to be able to live like yeah. family with all of them. And so I think it's important that you set expectations right. early on um, in a lot of some of these spaces, because if you don't help people understand this, what you're going to mm-hmm. end up having is 30 people in your MC expecting you to treat them like the three people in that intimate space. And you're just not going to have the capacity to do right. that. And so, and then I would just say also when it comes to living like family, if you want to cultivate that and love each other well, you're going to have to serve on mission together because nothing really kind of brings about uh, unity and closeness like service serving someone else together. And so and a lot of that, Brad, is probably a good place for me to kind of pass it off where you can talk about that. The third thing that missional communities are to do together. Yeah, that's great, man. I love that. Even just the the proper realization that we can't all be family uh, with everyone. And I do think, I think you're right that as you were saying, the family is the dominant metaphor in the New Testament. And I think in the United States, we're used to family being a internally focused thing, that family exists for itself. And all decisions are made for the good of the participants in it and for their their comfort, their security, all of those things. Whereas the family of God is different. It's even kind of opposed to that view in some ways, where uh, like if you can imagine having a big dinner family table and and God the Father at the head and sort of everyone living life underneath, man, that's our father and we're all sons and daughters of that father. And you ask, well, what's he like? Well, he sends his son into the world to fight sin, death, and evil. Mm. Uh, he's <laughs> This is a sending family. Mm. Uh, so a lot of times we pit like mission and community against each other or learning to love one another, and then learning to love our neighbors as if they're opposite things. But I believe truly that to belong to the family of God means you're in a family on mission, like you're a missional family. I even, uh, CJ Bergman, who's leads a Selma church in San Francisco, that's actually what they call their missional communities is they just call them missional families, uh, which I think is a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of what God's truly doing here in our lives within a missional community. And so that, that is, that's the third thing that missional communities do. They grow in their love for their neighbors together. And we've talked about this several times on the podcast on having a common mission, uh, working together towards mission, taking steps there. And so you can listen to those sort of previous podcasts. But I would say that uh, just sort of a deep thing to understand is that the mission of a community truly is that loving our neighbors. And that means that we're, we're loving people the way Jesus loved us. In other words, you can think of this story of the Good Samaritan where Jesus tells this parable right after someone had asked him, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan, which is this guy walking through this terribly difficult, dangerous journey, getting beat up, robbed, left for dead. While other religious people passed him by, the Good Samaritan sees this man, comes to him, picks him up, cares for him holistically, binds his wounds, carries him to a safe place, pays his debt. And Jesus then asks the crowd, well, then who of these people is the neighbor? And everyone says, well, the Samaritan is the one who was the neighbor. He made himself a neighbor and he cared for this person in that way. And so for a missional community to love their neighbor, it's, it's really great. The story you told, Jared, of, of the woman in Paragold, who I can't think of someone further away probably from mainstream Paragold culture mm-hmm. than a Muslim refugee woman mm-hmm. 
walking down the street, even that part of it. She's like not in a car. She's yeah. walking. Uh, she's from another country, another language, completely opposing religion, all of that. And I think that that's what it means when Jesus says, love your neighbors. And that's, that's really essentially what a community is doing, is trying to balance and live out these three things that we've talked about. Learning to uh, love God uh, through repentance, faith, confession, worship, all of those things. A missional community is learning how to love one another. As family, a uh, missional community is learning to love their neighbors together. And I think a lot of times people will come to me after explaining this piece of it and like, well, our church has been doing that for a long time. You know, we have Monday night Bible study, Wednesday night prayer, and we have community groups if you need people to care for you. And once a month we have outreach things. All you have to do is sign up. And can't you just do those commands a la carte? And I would say that is possible. Like it's not like impossible for you to sign up for those things. But I'd say how much greater would it be to try to learn how to pray and read the Bible and walk in repentance and faith with the same group of people you're trying to like love, mm. even though you don't like like them, and the same group of people you're trying to love the neighbors together. And if you're trying to do all three of those things with the same group of people, that means that, oh man, I don't like the way, like this person's really annoying. I'm not going to sit next to them anymore when we hand out water in downtown, I, I'm going to choose not to do that with them anymore. Or I don't like the way this person prays, so I'm not coming to their prayer meeting anymore. But if you're saying, no, we're committed to all these people together, mm. it means you grow through that. It also means that if your community is studying Philippians and then caring for this refugee later, you begin to connect dots whenever God's asking the community to sacrifice things because they might say, well, I consider it all rubbish. Anyway, like knowing Jesus is the whole deal. And this lady should know Jesus mm. because that's everything. And I'm willing to give up everything so she can know Jesus. And when she knows Jesus, mm. she'll give up everything too. And that even impacts, oh, well, as I'm encouraging this other person, my community, I get to tell them that like Jesus is so worth it and that um, we can have joy and burdens and in struggles. And I just think that all three of them together, mm. it creates a mess, but it's a super beautiful mess. Excellent, brother. So here's then a question in a lot of that. How can, for those who are listening, how can they know, and a lot of what we've just said about what missional communities do, how can they know if they are uh, successful, so to speak, in leading a missional mm -hmm. community? What can they, what should they be looking for? Yeah, I think the automatic tendency is to say, oh, well then, how much activity is enough activity? Like how many nights a week do I need to be doing stuff? But I think sort of this framework of, well, MC grows in their love for God. MC grows in their love for one another. MC grows in their love for neighbor implies that a successful community is simply one that's continues to take more and more steps towards that. So the question is, is the community faithful to grow in the commands and obey Jesus not just did they meet enough, talk enough, cry enough, do enough things, you know? And so I think it really does kind of change fundamentally how we view everything. It definitely changes how we view disobedience. For me, at least, like, when do I come and say, you know, this community has some problems? It's not so much if they're not active. It's more of if the community is saying, we're no longer want to take any more steps forward. Mm. They say, we're all good. 
even if that community is like housed full of orphans, they're like praying all the time, they're, you know, have this huge buffet. But if they come to the point where like, no, no, we're all good. We're just going to keep doing and we don't want more of our lives to experience repentance and faith. We don't want more of our lives to like grow in affection for others. We don't want to know any more neighbors. How much we're loving people is good. That's whenever I have the alarm bells ringing and saying, oh, I think now you're living in disobedience. Because what I believe Jesus is calling us to is to walk in a life where we're learning how to obey the commands. And it's a process and are people committed to that process? So maybe today uh, that success or the, the achievement for your MC is to say, wow, we need to learn how to pray together. So that's what we're doing this month. We're learning how to pray together. We're learning how to answer that question. What would a good family live like uh, where God the Father is in charge? And how can we like say hi to people on the street? Maybe that's what Jesus has called you to today. If you stay there, that's when the disobedience comes. But if you're if you keep coming back to the spirit week in and week out and you say, okay, what's next? What's next? I think that is really where we can say, oh, this is who who we really are and what God has called us to. And so I think just last little tidbit here is I think that approach can even be really helpful for people in a really traditional church or community group or small group kind of environment where if you're the leader, you can be the catalyst who just says, hey, what are the baby steps we're going to take this month to grow in our love for our neighbors together, Mm -hmm. grow in our love for one another, grow in loving God. And then the very next month you come back to the people again, you become that annoying person who's always asking what's next, but you say, okay, so we did those things last month. Now I'm going to ask you the same questions again. And then I think after a long obedience in that same direction, you might turn around and realize that your small group's no longer a Bible study Mm. or that you like have some not yet believers in your midst and you guys are sharing meals and you're loving one another in deep ways, not in a superficial way because you've taken a bunch of like small steps and you've never stopped asking God, what are you calling us into now? What are you calling Mm. us into now? So anyway, that's what success. I know that that might be unsatisfying for the people that want to like check a box, but uh, I think that's the way of Jesus. I don't know, Jared. Yeah. No, that's excellent, man. No, I think so. And it's, and if you're in the South and you're listening to this, which you're in our context, there's a deconstructing period that typically has to take place because you're, you've are you got people in your missional community that have come from a real event-oriented, mm-hmm. not, not necessarily everyone, but a lot of people come from kind of this event, you know, microwave culture. It's like, you know, throw big events, get decisions really quick, and that's success. And, you know, people right. become projects uh, unintentionally sometimes. And so, you know, just be able to breathe, go slow, realize mm-hmm. it's Jesus's work. And so um, sometimes that deconstructing period though has to take place before you can even feel like you're moving forward. So, right. yeah, so yeah. I love the idea of, of long obedience in the same direction, small steps. Don't compare yourself to other missional communities or what you read in a book or hear in a podcast. Just seek to be faithful mm-hmm. with uh, the people you have and the season you are. So, right. Yeah, I'd love that. Sorry, just to jump in real fast. The deconstructing thing. I think that's such a good word because a lot of times what God might be calling a community to do is to stop doing some things. 
you know, like, absolutely. Hey, we're going to stop driving to the town, three towns over to go to the mall. We're going to stop doing that. We're going to be present here, or we're going to stop filling up our Saturdays with yard work at one person's house, but we're going to start filling that up with something else. Or maybe even this could be blasphemous, but we're going to stop going to the church building all the time. We're going to like meet together sort of those sort of deconstructing pieces. I think that that's really good. So thanks for sharing that, Jared. You are welcome, Bradley. (laughs) So that wraps up the Saturate podcast. Thanks for joining us. Jared, thanks always for sharing your wisdom. It's so good to chat with you. Always good to be here with you, man. And And by uh, here with you, I mean a long ways from you, (laughs) but still on the air with you. I know. One day we'll be in person. We could do a live show one day. We're going to bring you to Arkansas, man. I, I can't wait. I really can't. I hope you mean that. I, I do mean it. I even, I've told my wife even, hey, we're going to go to Arkansas one of these days. She said, uh, yippee. Yeah, yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> and she said, you're going to Arkansas. That's great. Uh, that's awesome. Anyway, you've been listening to the Saturate Podcast. Thanks for listening. As always, if you like us, give us a like on iTunes. Give us a rating, whatnot. Help other people find us and connect with us at the Saturate website at saturatetheworld.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.